Good evening and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, I'm going to be finishing up our brief little series on saying at least one nice thing about every team in the NHL, including the dirty, dastardly Vegas Golden Knights and horrific Pittsburgh Penguins, but, you know, I get to say something nice, so I'll, I'll keep my criticisms limited. First up on that list, though, is going to be the Philadelphia Flyers. Now, the Flyers are kind of a funny team because they're actually not that far from where I am. They're about like an hour and a half to two hours. And so the Flyers are kind of... Well, they aren't really local because the, the Washington Capitals are my most local nearby team. But in many respects, it feels like Flyers culture tends to invade Maryland frequently. I, I run into plenty of uh, Philly fans around here. And they're kind of an interesting squad because they have a very long history and a proud reputation of 80s and 90s hockey that a lot of people felt was really that team at their peak. The past decade hasn't been as kind to Philly ever since they ended up losing to Chicago. And it's sort of an interesting team because they've they've had a lot of issues with management and things. But over the past couple of seasons, they've started to round a corner. And this year, I felt they were starting to go on a serious run. They looked like a Stanley Cup contender. It's kind of funny because they fired their GM, Ron Hextall, and brought in Chuck Fletcher from the Minnesota Wild. And I wasn't really sure that Fletcher was going to be all that good. Instead, he seems to have picked the right staff and done some trades and stuff to bring in some talent that's actually helped the team significantly. And of course, no one can forget the symbol of the resistance, for some reason, is is Gritty, which is their weird mascot that looks like somebody kind of had way too many of those, um, like, shredded carrot pieces and, and then pooped it out. But, you know, after everything, Gritty just seems to be emblematic of, of what the NHL frequently does, which is attempt to make something, fail at it, and yet it becomes endearing anyways. The Flyers have seemed to figure out Gritty's charm and have made him really an icon of the city and an icon of the NHL. Pretty much everyone, even people who aren't hockey fans, know who Gritty is. And that's going to forever be one of the mascots in Philly franchise history. The team that is very close to the Flyers is the Pittsburgh Penguins. And this team has had quite a bit of playoff success over the past couple of years. I think that anyone who isn't aware of the exploits of Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby... Well, I don't know, you probably have to be living on some kind of a, I guess, distant planet or something, because Sidney Crosby seems to permeate so many aspects of sport culture. Crosby's face has been not only the face of of the NHL and the Pittsburgh Penguins, but of Canadian hockey. I mean, you've probably heard of Sid the Kid, even if you weren't a hockey fan when he was really in his prime. And the thing is, is that Crosby is still an incredible player. I think what's really striking about Pittsburgh is that Despite the fact that most of their top stars are starting to age, their coaching staff, in in conjunction with some of the scouting department guys that they have, have crafted a squad that continues to be in a competitive state and really is only one or two steps from a cup win each year. This year's squad had an uncountable number of injuries and yet remained one of the top teams in the NHL, even if the record didn't always look like it. This is a team that pulled itself up to second in the division at its peak, And honestly, I I would not want to face them in the first round. I think that Pittsburgh remains one of the true stalwarts of the Eastern Conference, and there's a reason for that. Mike Sullivan's a great coach. They have a couple of fantastic, fantastic superstar players to rely on, and their choice in depth forwards and stuff always seems to be pretty decent. 
I think guys like Brian Rust don't get enough credit for being as good as they are. Now, not everything is rosy for them because occasionally their GM makes very strange deals and signings, but hey, I guess Brandon Tanev did deserve at least a bit of a raise, maybe not a a six-year contract, but what can you say? Now we're starting to move into the latter part of our list, and the first team that's going to make this cut is going to be the San Jose Sharks. The Sharks have a, um, well, they've had a rough season. Let's just say that San Jose went from being a cup contender each and every year to looking like a lotto team, and they don't even own their lotto pick. Things didn't look so great to to kind of run through this season, but you know what? Things are going to be better down the road, and I think that they have a couple of guys that I'm very excited about. I'm always a big fan of Tomas Hurdle, and I feel like Timo Meyer doesn't get enough credit for just how good of a winger he is. Their defense is kind of on the older side, but Eric Carlson is probably going to have a much better year than he did this season, and I feel like if they can find some kind of a goalie somewhere and maybe push Martin Jones to a second spot, not necessarily a backup, but probably like a 1B, they might be looking in much better straits. I feel like this season is more of an aberration because just about everything for that team except for the PK seemed to break, and I I think that that's very unusual for a team that, for the most part, has been a perennial playoff contender. I think that they are pretty smart about who they sign and some of the guys that they bring in as far as depth players and bottom six guys, and then some of those fringe middle six players who have some decent upside. But, you know, it's going to be a tough couple of years for the uh, Sharks going forward. I think that as this current core ages out, the young guys are going to step up and take increasingly more important roles. But until that point comes, I think that the the Sharks are going to have, I don't know if I can call it growing pains, maybe aging pains is probably the better term. Their arena does seem to be pretty cool, and they have a very vibrant fan base. I think Metallica or something always likes to stop by and, and catch some of those games and even play shows on the ice. So, at least if uh, if nothing else, they do have quite a few local celebrities visiting the arena. You know, the Sharks are, are kind of in a tough spot, but I guess, if nothing else, they are on the nice Californian coast. And, um, I don't know, they do have some young prospects that I, I do enjoy watching. I mean, Alexander Shemilevsky is pretty fun, and I think that they have... A couple of other guys. I want to say, is it Jack DeBoer on that squad? I don't remember, to be honest. The the more I try to think about who plays for the Shark system, I know it's a pretty decent system. I just can never seem to remember who's in it. They typically draft well, though. They haven't made too many mistakes, and I feel like some of the guiding methodology, at least from the management perspective, at least has tried to embrace the fact that the, the Sharks are getting older. So they're trying to push all the chips in and go for as many cup runs as possible with this core. And that's that's a run I, I do appreciate. I think that Doug Wilson was probably in the right, though long-term, of course, he probably knew that this team has some issues going forward. Next season, I think solving the goaltending would probably be my primary concern if I'm Doug, and I think that that's something that they could reasonably do if they play the market right. The name the St. Louis Blues probably inspires some modicum of fear within Jets fans because the Blues, you know, ousted Winnipeg a couple of years ago and then ended up winning the Cup. The Blues are kind of a funny team because when you watch them, for the most part, they're not exactly what one would describe as the most exciting hockey team on the planet. Craig Berube seems to be very intent on having them play a low event, you know, highly defensive posture with fast breakout counters. But the thing with the uh, the Blues is... I don't know. They're kind of a strange team. Until recently, they were sort of boring and not exactly generating a whole lot on offense, which kind of runs counter to what they did to win the Cup, because it wasn't Bennington that 
was really what drove them to, to win that final championship title. It was more that they were just a dominant team in so many different facets, and I feel like for a lot of the season, they kind of got away from what made them successful. Past month and a half or so, though, the actual Blues apparently seemed to wake up and they were kind of on a warpath. So if the playoffs ever resume, and, and maybe Tarasenko is healthy again and, and back able to play, that's a scary-looking team for any team that has to face them in the first round. And in Winnipeg's case, that would be their likely first-round opponent if the Jets were in the postseason. I uh, I would be hard-pressed to say that that particularly favors the Jets, especially with where the roster is at this point and the fact that the Jets don't really have an NHL-caliber defense. But, you know, I digress. It might not even matter because who knows if the season's even going to continue or if there will be a playoffs at the end of the year. The Tampa Bay Lightning are kind of a different blue-colored team, and they have a much different philosophy than St. Louis. They have a very high-tempo offense, a ton of attacking strength. Their defenders tend to attack a lot. There's just so much firepower that any other issues that they tend to have, which by and large are few and far between, but still noticeable when they give up shot quality, they can usually outscore their issues. And I feel like they have so much depth on that roster that it's kind of insane. Prior to, I guess, all of this COVID-19 stuff, they ended up acquiring Blake Coleman, which, you know, they didn't even need Coleman, but he just puts their bottom six unit over the top. For a squad that has the likes of Stamkos, Sorelli, you know, Braden Point, Nikita Kucherov, now Blake Coleman, Alex Killorn, and then on the defensive side, Sergachev, Hedman, yada, yada, yada. That's a ridiculously deep team. And the only question that they've really had was Vasilevsky. As long as Vasilevsky basically stays out of the way of the team, I think Tampa Bay is a truly fearsome roster. And even though the Blue Jackets swept them, I think, last season, you know, obviously some some tactical things and decisions that they made for breakouts kind of killed them against Columbus. They probably won't face that level of difficulty this season. Again, assuming that the playoffs are even a thing, which they probably aren't at this point, because let's be honest, I, I think that we're kind of at a, a holding pattern that's not going to be resolved within the next few weeks or even the next few months. But hypothetically, I think that you could put a lot of money on the Tampa Bay Lightning winning the Cup this season if it were to occur. I think Tampa Bay just has the kind of power play and even strength play that most teams dream of. They have so much firepower, and even when they're injured and sort of running a bit ragged, that's a team that you really don't want to cross. And, you know, a couple months of of health and recovery and rest for that team, you know, they resume the season or, or resume a playoff run. That's a really scary proposition for anyone in the Eastern Conference, and really in the Western Conference, too. One of the other T-named teams is the Toronto Maple Leafs, and saying nice things about Toronto is always very difficult for me because I am um, not overly fan of the Leafs, but hey, they have a fairly strong forward unit. I think that, you know, they have a couple of core weaknesses, and in a lot of ways it's sort of like what Winnipeg has had issues with, and I think the primary one is defense. You know, you have a lot of guys on on Toronto's back end who really aren't shutting down passing and shooting lanes, and, you know, their offensive contributions can't mask the fact that, to be honest, the Leafs' defense is pretty porous. It only gets worse when you have Frederick Anderson, who is maybe a bit burned out and a bit overused, putting in some really bad performances over the past couple of months. I feel like Anderson kind of comes and goes in these waves, but, you know, he's the only goaltender that they really have. They brought in Jack Campbell from L.A., but obviously... Campbell is is mostly a backup, and who knows if he's really going to continue to be any kind of a performer for them. The Leafs are in a weirdly tough spot because I I think that Dubas has done a lot to make that roster fairly strong. I just don't know if I see enough to really think of them 
as more than a one or two round contender. They'd have to rely on some really nice shooting luck, and hopefully one of their goaltenders at least stepping up for a couple of playoff series to have a decent shot. It's not that their offense is bad, I think that they have a ton of shooting talent, and I mean when you've got Matthews and Nylander on any line, things are looking okay, and they've got plenty of depth forwards to cover the rest of the team. I just think that the defense and goaltending is is bad enough to cause some issues. If the Jets didn't have Hellebuck, they'd probably be much worse off than the Leafs are, but Toronto is also not in a great position itself, so I think both teams have a couple of similar structural issues and things that teams could, you know, probably exploit in the postseason. I suppose the positive spin is that they have plenty of firepower going forward, and at some point that can overwhelm whatever defensive woes that you have. If they get even league average goaltending from Anderson, I think that that makes them a lot more dangerous. You know, for the most part, their roster is pretty decent. I mean, they have a lot of talented depth forwards who can contribute at all situations. They picked up that guy, was it Pierre Engvall, I think, from their system? I probably got his name wrong. I can't remember. This this dude with, like, a really hard shot who I think came out of the Marlies system. But, you know, they have plenty of players like this who they continually pluck from their reserves. And I think that with training and time and, and acclimation, obviously someone like Timothy Lilligren would be a massive boost on their defense. Timothy kind of had a tough start to the NHL regimen, but I think that he, over time, can become something special on the right-hand side. It's not like they have all that many D who are performing at an adequate level anyways. There are like a couple of NHL defenders that I actually like on their team, and I think Justin Hall is one of them. Uh, Rasmus Sandin will probably be, I don't know if he's with the team yet, but whenever he arrives, I think that he's going to be pretty good for them. Beyond that, though, I mean, they've got like Tyson Berry, and Berry is, uh, he doesn't really defend. I mean, he he kind of fits what they want to do at times. I just don't know if he's really that great of a defenseman in general. I think that he's got value in one end of the ice. The same can be said of Morgan Riley. And when you have a a couple of depth guys filling in the rest, I think you can kind of see why maybe their defensive structure is a little bit poor. It's kind of like having a bunch of Neil Pionks on your team. And Pionk is, is one of those guys who has plenty of value for the Jets, but probably not in the end of the ice that you would think for a D man. Now we move on to the last part of our list, and we start off with the Vancouver Canucks. Now, the Canucks are kind of a curious team because I think that they are under the impression that their rebuild is over. Now, here's where they are both kind of right and kind of wrong. I think that Vancouver has quite a bit of talent. I love watching Elias Petrosian do his thing. If you've never seen Petrosian highlights, just, just pause the podcast, go to YouTube, look him up. This dude is a literal cheat code. The way that he displays incredible vision, balance, stick handling, and impeccable scoring instinct, it's its just unearthly, dude. This guy could honestly shoot behind his back and probably score a top-shelf shot from his own end of the ice. He displays some of the most technical craftsmanship in terms of a hockey player that you could possibly imagine. Where things kind of get a little bit dicey is... The rest of the supporting cast is not perfect. I do like guys like uh, Troy Stetcher, Adam Gaudet, Brock Besser, yada yada yada. Bo Horvat's pretty decent. I think that they have a lot of, of decent pieces. It's just that there's also a lot of money tied in guys who are kind of below replacement or not really where they used to be. Tyler Myers' contract is kind of an anchor, and I remember when people were like, oh, look, he's, he's producing and scoring points and driving play. The Jets must have missed out. And that was after the first couple of weeks. And then the real Tyler Myers started to show his head, and suddenly people understood, oh, that's why they didn't resign him for like six and a half million dollars. 
Now, they do have some interesting talent in their system, and I think Niels Hoglander is one of the most exciting prospects around. I think that Hoglander is kind of like a natural successor to, you know, the first pick being Petherson. Niels is very talented. He has a ton of offensive instinct, and I think that he is, from what I understand, pretty pretty physical in terms of getting into position and, and using the body to really um, open up space for himself. He's a versatile offensive threat, and I feel like he just joins a host of young talent that at some point for Vancouver will pan out. I think that they have quite a bit to, to look forward to. Quinn Hughes, Thatcher Demko, those guys are all going to be very likely NHL stars down the road. Hughes is already a star in my opinion, but I know that some people will probably say that maybe he wasn't as good as like Adam Fox or Kale McCarr. I think it's pretty close this season. I think that they're all easily Calder picks. It's just a, a matter of preference and what you're looking for in terms of waiting. But, you know, uh, maybe Vancouver is pushing things a little too soon. It's kind of hard to say because I think that uh, Jim Benning has done a lot to try and overhaul the team, and maybe that wasn't the best decision. Speaking of not best decisions, I feel like Vegas, who is our next team on the list, is kind of in an odd spot. Now, Vegas fired Gerard Gallant a couple months ago, and I felt like at the time that was a mistake, and yet the Knights really just kept pushing on. I mean, that this team was doing things to expected goals and and Corsi 4 percentage charts that you really don't see with teams that often. Vegas just seems to dominate every opponent it comes across, and I feel like they have a curious mixture of talent that, on the one hand, looks pretty good on paper, but on the other hand, you think about the matchups and you're wondering, how on earth is this team so good at driving shot share and expected goal share? And then you kind of watched how they played against Winnipeg, and it, it starts to make a little bit of sense. They're kind of like Montreal in the sense that they have a ton of play-driving talent, but if someone like Mark Stone goes down, their ability to finish starts to take a bit of a hit. Not super surprising because Mark Stone is one of the best players in the world, but again, it, you know, does highlight that perhaps there's a little more fragility in the way that Vegas is than one might imagine. I think that their goaltending was for a long time one of their bigger issues this season. That is most certainly no longer a concern so long as they bring Leonard in, well, I guess it, it does become an issue if he doesn't stick around because I think he was supposed to be a rental, but... You know, obviously, Vegas has to figure out something with Flurry because he's signed to a big deal, and his season on the whole was not particularly good. The rest of the team, though, plays pretty outstanding hockey, and I mean, they've got a fairly active defense with guys like Shea Theodore and Nate Schmidt. They have a ton of top six talent. I really like Cody Glass coming in down the road. They have uh, a, a lot of genuine talent sitting in the minor leagues, too, uh, although they have traded away some of it for returns that I'm not 100% sold on yet. For an expansion franchise, though, I don't think you get any better than what Vegas has done, and I think that they've set really a model and an example of how to run a team, especially after your first year. The team that ultimately trumped this expansion franchise in its first season to win the Stanley Cup was the Washington Capitals, a squad that has for a long time been a perennial lame duck. They are the team that's closest to me, and look, I actually have a pretty big soft spot for the Caps. I think that Ovechkin, Backstrom, Jakob Vrana, um, Dmitry Orlov, Braden Holpe, all of these guys were names that, you know, essentially I grew up with as I was kind of coming through. Verano's a pretty recent addition, but some of the other guys have been around for a very long time. They're just this interesting squad that's filled with so much talent, and yet for the longest time just could not find the right bounces and a bit of good fortune to push themselves over the hump. And then they finally did it, and it was the season that I thought the Jets were going to win the Cup. And so it was a bit heartbreaking for me just because... On the one hand, I really was happy for the Caps to, to win the Cup, and on the other hand, I was really hoping to see Winnipeg still hoisted at the end of the day. Thankfully, though, they vanquished the team that vanquished Winnipeg, and so I guess all kind of worked out in the end. 
the Caps finally broke a, you know, like a 30-year-long curse, and I didn't have to listen to Pittsburgh sports fans rub it in my face for the next, you know, year and a half until they inevitably imploded in the second round again. The last team on our list is going to be Winnipeg, and I suppose the nice thing that I'll say about the Jets is they're my team. I love them. You know, obviously, I, I they tend to drive me insane with some of the stuff that they do, and, uh, you know, I think that there are a lot of things that they need to improve upon, but I still have a huge soft spot for them, and I enjoy when they play well. Some of you who listen to, to me talk and, and write about this stuff probably think, well, you know, you're kind of harsh on them, and it's because I know that they can do better. We've seen them do better, and I feel like the Jets this season, more so than last year, actually did give it their all. I think that, you know, tactically speaking, that was where the biggest issue was. Tactics and, and a lack of defensive talent, but for one thing, I don't really think that I ever questioned their, their effort this year. I think that they gave us as much as they could, and honestly, Hellebuck almost got us to the dance, if he hasn't done so already. For a team that really didn't do much of anything in the offensive zone for most of the season, I think the past couple of weeks and, and even the month and a half or so showed us that the Jets could be a little bit more entertaining than what they showed in the first half of the season, and hopefully they keep doing that whenever they start playing again, this time with an actual NHL defense. I'm excited for the Vili Heinola, Leon Gavanki, Dylan Sandberg, Jonathan Kvasovic, yada yada yada, Declan Chisholm, yeah, let's not forget him. I'm excited for that era of defense to begin, and hopefully it starts next season without a hitch, because Lord knows I can't keep watching some of our depth D fumble the puck around in the own zone before it leads to a goal against before I lose my mind. <laughs> but with that, that concludes our wonderful list of nice things to say about NHL teams. I thank you folks so much for listening. Before you log off, be sure to check out our national Locked On NHL podcast. It's always a great show with Sarah and Vampato. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Be sure to tune in this weekend for another episode in our Game 1 Collector Series. Have a great night and go Jets go.